We've been in this series called, uh, called Life on Mission. And uh, we believe that, that in, the, in the Bible, in, in, in the story of Jesus' life, are, are these great instructions for us. Call it a, the, the Great Commission or, or, or evangelism, discipleship, witnessing. The simplest way I know to explain it is, that, as Romans says, that all of us have sinned. There's not one of us who hasn't. And in our sin, we have created distance between ourselves and God, but it doesn't matter what you've done or how bad it is or how far you have strayed from God. God's number one desire is to draw you, to draw all humanity back to himself. And he made this possible through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. It is through the blood and broken body of his own son that God has made a path for all of us to be redeemed, all of us to be drawn to God again. And this is the good news. It's the gospel, but it is also God's heartbeat, God's number one desire, his plan from the beginning, no matter what you've done, is for you to be with him. Can I get an amen? We believe that his plan is our mission. The life mission of every Christian is to grow followers of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to draw men and women who are far from God and bring them near. This is the mission of our church. This is, this is what we have given our life to. This is our life mission. And as we talk about this subject and dig deeper into the subject of discipleship, all of these other conversations have been coming up. And so one of the things we want to do, and in, in, we've done for the past eight weeks for, for each of our teachings, is to create space for this kind of conversation to happen. So I'm going to give you a question related to discipleship, related to this life on mission. And I'm going to give you five minutes, and I just want you to turn to, to your neighbors, turn to those around you. You may have to move and, and spin around and turn around backwards, make sure no one's left out. We want you to, to, to discuss and talk about this mission together, talk about our life mission together. So everyone understand what we're going to do? All right, here's the question. How was Jesus a part of your conversation this week? Did you share Jesus this week? Did you talk about him? When? Where? How? And if you didn't, why not? Tough question, right? Are you ready? All right, I'm going to set my phone. I'll give you five minutes. Spread out. Find those neighbors next to you. Just spend a few minutes talking. Did you share Jesus this week? How'd you do? Did anyone in your, in your conversation say, man, I, I'm so comfortable talking about Jesus, I just do it all the time without even thinking about it? Was that person in your group? Or does, even as we, even as we dig deeper and deeper into this, does the idea of bringing Jesus up, and, and, and I love when I talk about this because I, I love people who say, we know I, I work in a school and I, I got to be really careful about what I say, or I, I work in my office, I got to be really careful, and I'm like, come on. You're just looking for excuses because it makes you uncomfortable. 
I love this story. So uh, the, the namesake of our series, Life on Mission, comes from a book by Tim Harlow, Life on Mission. And um, he gives this great story in the book. And uh, if you're in one of our small groups, this story is going to come up today. But uh, just let, I just want to read you two quick paragraphs, and then we're going to move on and talk about Matthew chapter 10. But, but Tim, related to this idea of sharing our faith and discipleship, Tim Harlow writes, Do you ever read stories from some hyper-evangelist-type pastor or author who tells you about leading someone to Christ in an airplane ride conversation? You know, like, I struck up a conversation, and then I got out a napkin and explained the cross bridge to God, and they got saved. He says, that's not me. I have to be honest. When I get on a plane, I don't pray for God to send me a seatmate whom I can guide to Jesus. I'm praying for an empty seat. I'm sorry. I know about eternity and my mission and all of that. I'm just telling you where I live. If there is someone next to me, I'm not hoping they say, tell me about Jesus. I'm hoping they say, no hablo inglés, then I'm off the hook. Raise your hand if you've ever felt like that before. That's right. It, 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 it makes us uncomfortable. You know, we talked about the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip made it look so easy. He made it look so easy, but the reality is it, it's, it's this, this, this sending us that Jesus is sending us on, this commission us, this, 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 these instructions that he's giving us seem anything but easy. If anything, they make me feel un, uncomfortable. But Scripture says not only is this instruction uncomfortable, the instruction Jesus gives to his disciples is incredibly costly. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm just going to take a, a, a snippet of what's going on. In Matthew chapter 10, in verses 1 through 5, Jesus is about to send out the 12. Jesus called his 12 disciples together. He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and, and illness. And here are the names of the 12 uh, apostles, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, look at those last three words, with these three, or with these instructions. Jesus gives his disciples, as he is sending them out, a specific set of instructions. If you want to say discipleship instructions. But see how this strikes you as a rosy send-off. In verse 7 of chapter 10, it says, Go now and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Sounds very noble beginning. It's something we can all, we can all get behind. But then in verse 8, Jesus says, I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. And already these instructions make us feel uncomfortable. Right? that we would have this kind of power, that, that, that we could even have this kind of authority. He actually instructs his disciples to raise the dead. Anyone feeling a little intimidated? In verses 9 through 10, he goes on. And he says, As you're going out on this great epic mission 
I want you to not take any money with you. Don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't even carry a suitcase with a change of clothes and sandals. Don't even take a walking stick. So on this great mission that you're going to go on, be sure and pack nothing. Have you ever gone on a trip like that? In verse 11, he goes on. And he says, since you're not going to have any money, I, you're not going to have any place to stay. So, so I want you to accept hospitality. How many of you are good at this? I want you to accept hospitality. And in fact, whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home. Because you're not going to be able to afford a hotel. I want you to stay with strangers you meet along the way. But wait, it gets better. In, in uh, verse 16, he says, look, I am sending you out. I'm, I'm sending you out as sheep among, what's the word? I'm sending you out with a target on your back. I'm sending you out as prey to be devoured. And then as we kind of come to the climax of this, in verses 17 through 19, look at, look at what he says. Jesus says, Beware, for you will be handed over to the courts, and you will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings. And he goes on to say, When you are arrested. You know, it doesn't say, If you get handed over, or if they flog you, or if you stand trial, or if you get arrested. No, it says, when? Like, this is going to happen. Like, when you get flogged or beaten. And Jesus says, but... You know, you don't have to worry about any of this stuff because uh, the second part of verse 18 says you don't have to worry about being beaten or arrested or put on trial because this is going to be your opportunity. That's, what, that's the word he uses. When you're getting beat up, that's your opportunity to tell rulers and other unbelievers about me. And then in verse 22, maybe the, the creme de la creme, Jesus says, not only is there all of that going to be taking place, but all nations will hate you because you are my followers. Is this the worst sales job you've ever heard? Let's just run through this again. So the, the task will seem impossible. It's definitely going to be completely awkward and uncomfortable. And no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You, you will be poor and homeless. You're going to be forced to rely on the kindness of strangers for everything. And that's going to be tough because everybody's going to hate you. Right? 
You will be preyed upon like sheep among wolves. You will be flogged with whips. You will be thrown in jail. You will be put on trial. And if Jesus' own life is any example, you're probably going to die on this mission. All because you are my followers. Do you think there was like any of the disciples that were like ridiculously like sarcastic? And, and Jesus gave these instructions and he was like, oh me, 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 me. Or, or just kind of under his breath like, well, don't sugarcoat it. You think after hearing these instructions, they had second thoughts. Can you imagine going to their parents and telling them, here's, here's what's in my future. Is, is this what you would want for, for your own kids? So, uh, so the next question becomes, so why the rosy send-off? What? Jesus never does anything without, without a reason. So, so you know there must be a reason that Jesus is sending these guys. I mean, I mean, these 12 guys aren't just his friends. They aren't just his disciples. They aren't just his students. These, these guys are family, right? They've shared life together for years and years. He loves them. So why? What, what could, could Jesus' possible motivation be why would Jesus send them out into such uncomfortable, difficult, painful, costly, into, into such a costly mission? What would possess Jesus to send anyone on a mission like that? And if you want an answer, I think you have to look at the scene that comes immediately before this. And so we don't know how it's all put together, but... But there is a scene, especially in Matthew, that precedes this kind of rosy send-off. Right before Jesus sends them off with these instructions, I want to read you what happens. In chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, it says that Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And the verse 36 is, I think, really key. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What is Jesus' motivation for sending his 12 best friends into this difficult, painful, uncomfortable task? It's the compassion he feels for people in a crowd. It's the compassion he feels from, for, for strangers. He doesn't even know. We've talked about this word compassion. So feelings in the Jewish mind come from, come from this part, come from your gut, come from deep down inside, that gut feeling. And, and compassion is this word that, that means like it hurts so much right here. It hurts so much in this part of me that I have to act. I, I have to do something. Such excruciating gut level pain that it forces you to act. And scripture says that is exactly what Jesus felt for a crowd of strangers. And he talks about this crowd, this crowd of people. The, the New, Living 
New Living Translation says that they're confused and helpless. He, he, Jesus sees them as, as, as confused and, and, and helpless. This word helpless is in Greek like a, like a castaway, cast aside, uh, orphaned, uh, uh, thrown out in the trash. They're not just confused, they're, or they're not just helpless, they're abandoned. And the word confused, or, or maybe your translation uses troubled, that's, that's, that's a tamed down word for what's happening in the Greek, because the word in Greek, this, this confused, troubled word, means to skin or flay. It's not like a mosquito bite that's, that's, that's annoying. This is what happens, uh, did you ever have a skateboard as a kid? And every kid who has a skateboard has that one hill in your neighborhood that all the other kids are terrified to go down. Uh, This word, confused, troubled, is when you were a kid and you were on the biggest hill in your neighborhood and you were on a skateboard and you're screaming down the hill on your skateboard and you catch a rock and you bust and you fly off your skateboard and your chin does that fun thing where it skips across the pavement. That's this word. It means bloodied, skinned. And Scripture says Jesus looked at the crowd of people like like they were abandoned orphans who'd just taken a hard fall on a pavement with no mom to run and take care of them. Jesus sees them like sheep without a shepherd. Luke 15 talks about this kind of compassion. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories. He tells three stories back to back to, to make a point. If you don't get to this first one, you've got to get to the second one. If you don't get to the second one, you've got to get at the third one. Uh, and, and a brief recap of those stories is, the first story is he tells a story about a lost sheep. Do you remember this story? So there's this shepherd and he has a hundred sheep, but one of the sheep gets lost and the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep and goes in search of the one. It's a ridiculous story. Why? Because no one would risk 99 for one. But that is exactly what happens in this story. The shepherd's willing to risk safety and, and health, and he's willing to risk the comfort of the 99 sheep to find the one. And then he jumps immediately from a story about lost sheep to a woman and, uh, who has a lost coin. She has 10 coins, but she loses one. And, and the imagery of this story is that the woman makes an absolute and utter fool of herself searching for one coin. She gets down on her hands and knees. She, she sacrifices any dignity that she may have. She sacrifices any pride. She sacrifices her time. She commits everything, whatever it takes, to finding that one lost coin. And finally, the third story, the one that's going to be most familiar to you, is a story about a dad and a son. A son approaches his father and asks for his dad's ATM card. And the dad gives it to his son, who immediately goes empties his father's account and blows all the money. Now with all the money gone, the son becomes 
homeless, on the, on the edge of starvation. And he decides to go crawling back to his father and beg for, for the, the lamest, most horrible job possible. But before he can ever even get, before he can even get to the door, his dad, who has been betrayed, who has been taken advantage of, his dad sees his son on the road like he has been waiting for him. His dad drops everything and runs to his son, wraps his arm around him, puts a cloak around him, uh, uh, invites everyone in and throws a huge party, even invites a really ungrateful brother. And the other son says, why are you throwing this party? And the dad says, the one that was lost has been found. Why would Jesus send his 12 best friends on such an uncomfortable, painful mission? Why would Jesus send us to do something that makes us feel uncomfortable? And it's because he simply cannot bear the thought of losing even one. And frankly, that's a thought we're all too comfortable with. But to Jesus, the one is worth everything. There is not a person on this earth, and that is a big statement, but there is not a person on this earth that Jesus would not pay any price for. There is not a person on this earth that Jesus did not die for. Do you believe that? And so verse 37 Right before the sending out, right before he sends his disciples into that horrible, ugly, uncomfortable, painful mission I was telling you about. Right before then, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are, what's the word? No, I think it says uncomfortable. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. And immediately after this, Jesus sends the twelve out, risking, risking even their lives. And this is our life mission. And it's not just about skin knees and lost kids, but it's a mission with much greater consequences, consequences that Jesus saw and knew full well. It's, it is a matter of heaven and hell, a matter of life and death. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, if sinners be damned, and I don't get to say that word a lot in church, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwanted and unprayed for. Do you see our mission? We are on a mission 
from God. And the lost sheep of this world are not going to somehow guess their way into heaven. The lost of this world aren't, aren't somehow going to, to guess uh, 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 the, the love, the hope, the forgiveness, the life, the salvation of God that can only come through His Son. And so there's a reality for all of us who call ourselves Christians, and that is if you believe that if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, and if you believe that no, uh, no one comes to the Father except through Him, that, that there is no other name, Acts 4, 12, look what it says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. If there is no other name by which people can be saved, then our mission is to say it. Our mission is to face down our inhibitions. Our mission is to fight through any discomfort you're feeling. Our mission is to step up and willingly pay the price, whatever the consequences, and say the name of Jesus for just one. This is our life mission. I want to invite the worship team back up, and as they come up, I just want to share a few final thoughts with you. Am I too strong in stating this? Is this a mission you're willing to accept? So in just a moment, I'm going to let these guys, they're going to, they're going to lead us in a song. And uh, normally we kind of give you a chance to respond. And so if there's anyone we can pray for. But what I want you to do today is, is something a little bit different. Um, I know uh, usually I'll yell at you if I see these out while I'm, I'm teaching. But I want you to get out your phones or your iPads or your, your Zooms or I don't know, whatever, whatever kind of device you have. Maybe uh, you still use that, 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 that little folding calendar thing that... You write on with a pencil or pen. If you still use that uh, uh, ancient technology, I want you to get that out. Whatever, whatever you can write on, whatever you can, can put a note on. And what I want you to do is I just want you to create a reminder. I want you to create a reminder in your phone. Create a reminder in your, in your calendar. And I want you to set a reminder for yourself. And I just want you to think of a name. What is, what's the name of one person in your life who seems to be curious about spiritual matters? I, I'm not saying, even suggesting that uh, you probably know people who aren't Christian, who are far from God. But I, I wouldn't even start with, there, there are some cases that are going to be just frankly over your head where you're at right now. So I'm asking you to think of a softball. Who, who's one person in your life? that has questions about spiritual things, who may have questions about God, I want you to just put that person's name as a reminder in your phone. And I, and I want you to set, that, set your calendar on your digital device, put it, put it on repeat. I want this reminder to not just come up one day and then you forget it. I want you to put this person's name as a reminder in your phone and just put it on repeat. 
Let it, let it remind you every day. Let it remind you every week. What it, whatever reminder you want to put it in there. But I want you to put a reminder in there for you to pray, partly for, to, to pray for you to grow in compassion and care for those who don't know Christ. It starts with that gut feeling that Jesus had. It's a feeling that, that we need to get reacquainted with. So I want you to pray that, that you would feel compassion for those who don't know Christ. Whenever you see that reminder, I, I'll, I'll, Father God, help me to be compassionate for those who don't know you. Help me to be compassionate for those who are far from you. And then I want you to pray for an opportunity. Pray for a window. I believe that if we're available, God honors our availability. And so I want you to, as you see that person's name, I just want you to pray for an opportunity. Even at this point, I'm not even saying that you should go and create an opportunity. I'm just praying, allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to create an opportunity for you. And then finally, lastly, when that opportunity comes, be bold and take it. And with all the compassion and with all the genuineness and with all the sincerity and with all of the love that you can muster, take the chance and say the name of Jesus. Introduce them to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So if you've got your phones, you're ready to put that name in. I'm not asking for, this is not a fast pitch, this is just softball, something easy. As these guys sing this song, I'm just going to ask that you be praying about that person, continue to put it in, put those reminders in your phone, set them on repeat. Let us not neglect those in our world that Christ gave everything for. Why don't you stand as we sing this song together?